verses 11 to 28, page 1208. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest, like Melchizedek, appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Amen. Thank you, Fred. I hope nobody minds, especially not Steve, that my message went in a little bit different direction that he told me last week to preach about because I was so fascinated by a specific verse. I want to concentrate on that, but take it in the whole uh, whole context of of Hebrews 11. And I'm I'm focusing on on verse 25 specifically, but you'll hear about that later. In the past um, congregation, at the celebration of the Lord's Supper, 
we, we used to read a form. Yeah? Steve had this morning explained what it is all about. But in the past, we had a specific form for that to explain what we are doing when we eat the bread and drink the, the wine. Now, one of the last admonitions in that form, just before we received the bread and wine, was this. Lift up your hearts to heaven where Christ is at the right hand of his Father. Now, that was a typical Reformed reminder to make clear that we have a different view of bread and wine than the Roman Catholic Church. The Catholics would say, have a good look at this bread and wine, because they are really the body and blood of Jesus. So pay your respect to these elements, because they are divine. But we would say, bread and wine are mere symbols. And the reality of it is elsewhere. Hence, lift up your hearts to heaven, because that is where Jesus, our high priest, is. And he is a a perfect high priest as well, for he has a permanent priesthood, says Hebrews 7. He lives forever. And I think verse 25 sums it up for us perfectly. It says this, Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So our our theme would more be like um, draw near to God through Jesus. Verse 25. Therefore, when the Bible starts a a verse with um, therefore, it's always good to ask wherefore. And the answer is usually in the context. Now, the author of Hebrews argues in the chapters 7 to 10 that we, as New Testament people, are better off than the people of God's old covenant. Now, that is, you could argue, that is not immediately obvious because they had a tabernacle and later they had a temple where God's dwelling place was under his people. And when an Israelite child would ask his dad, where is God? His father could point to Jerusalem. God dwells in the temple. And that's where we ought to come if we want to draw near to him. Well, in a way, that was true. But your access to God, in that sense, had many limitations. For it was only the the high priest and the priests could come near to God's dwelling place. And you had to be a member of one specific tribe of Israel to be participating in that. And because of that, our chapter points out that the Israelites under the old covenant were definitely not better off than we are. We are better off. And why? Is that so? Because it says here, we have a better high priest. The Old Testament priests were imperfect. Our high priest is perfect. The Old Testament priests all died one day. Our high priest lives forever. The Old Testament priests were sinners themselves and they had to make sacrifices for their own sin but our high priest is perfectly holy 
and sinless. And on top of all that, God has sworn an oath that his son would be the one through whom we can have a relationship with the living God and share eternal life with him. Now, all those truths are wonderfully captured and summarized in in that verse that I ask your attention for. Verse 25, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you remember what Jesus came to do when he was on earth? What was his, you could say, his personal mission statement? It was this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He never changed that statement. And he is still on to it, even today. I assume we all sometimes entertain the wish to meet Jesus alive. To many of us, Jesus and even the gospel can seem so theoretical. With our minds, we believe it, but it often fails to really impact our daily life because we don't feel him, we, don't, we can't touch him, we never hear his voice. Now we might make peace with that, that's just how it is then. I will never experience the reality of Jesus' life until after my life on earth. When I die, then I hope to to meet him and get closer to him. But friends, though you might feel that way, that's not what the Bible teaches about the time when Jesus has left this world. And it's certainly not what Jesus promised when he left. He promised this, I will be with you till the end of the age. And when he, when he made this promise, when he was about to go, he had something in mind that nobody could ever have imagined. He was going to send someone to replace him. A person that would come even closer to us than Jesus ever could be to his disciples. I'm talking now about Jesus' promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said, it's good for you when I leave you. For then the comforter will come and he will not be with you like I was with you. He will be in you. So the Holy Spirit will not be a teacher who speaks to us, who talks to us. But he will be someone who speaks in us. One who will change us from inside out. And this, friends, is the kind of salvation Jesus came to bring. It's the core of the gospel. If you find such a great salvation, it will turn your life upside down. You will have a a different outlook suddenly on everything that you have experienced so far. And wouldn't that be wonderful if we all received such a great salvation? Now, our text gives a a clear description how this salvation comes about. So let's try to unpack that verse a bit more. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Now, who who is able to save us? The answer is he. Only 
He can do it. And that he is Jesus. And we are the ones to be saved. It's up to Jesus to actually save. I I emphasize it somewhat. For sometimes people think that they can save themselves by just doing the right thing. Or by believing the right doctrine. But don't think that you can do it yourself. You need to be saved by Jesus. Only he can do it. Remember what the Bible tells you about your own nature. You may think you are alive. But spiritually, says the Bible, you're dead because of your sin. And can you make yourself alive then? And so be saved. No way. Only Jesus is able to make you alive and save you. Now next thing we have to know about this salvation is that Jesus only saves certain people. Man, in his human wisdom, would say, if there is such a thing like salvation, then everybody should be saved. That's only fair. Because we're all the same. Why should one go to heaven then and another one to hell? That is unjust. Especially since there is no one who can claim the perfection that would make him entitled to heaven. But the Bible doesn't operate with human wisdom, rather with divine wisdom. So listen again to our text. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to church. Oh no, he does not say that. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God. Now, coming to God, is that something that we are all eager to do? Are we born with our hand outstretched towards God and say, oh God, I want to come to you? No, nothing of that. The Bible says, we are born being enemies of God. By nature, we all run away from him. We like To please ourselves. We don't like to be servants of a master in heaven. It's our nature that we like to be in control ourselves. And make our own decisions. And to be subservient to no one. It's our nature to walk away from God and not even realize that we do. There is only one way to be saved. And that is to turn around and to come to God. And out of ourselves, we'll never do that. And that's why we need to be saved. So God's Holy Spirit is there. And he he stops certain people from running away from God and turns them around and pulls them back towards God. Have you been through that? Have you really come to God, brother, sister? I'm not asking have you come to church, because you have. I'm not asking do you believe in God and his existence. You do. But it's not not by not believing in God that saves you. It is coming to God. 
And there's only one way that we can do that. Our text is very clear on that. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. That is, through Jesus. That is the crunch. There's no other way to get saved than through Jesus. Many people, almost the whole world, try to come to God in their own way. By being good moral people, or by being religious, or by sticking to church rules, etc. Perhaps you are still trying to do that without realizing it yourself. So make sure that you find the right way to God, the way through Jesus. Now what kind of salvation do you receive once you find the right road to God? Our text says you will be saved completely. Totally. In every conceivable way. The sacrifices that were brought to God under the old covenant did bring about reconciliation with God for those who trusted him. Seeing what the priest did on their behalf, the believers accepted that their sins were forgiven. But their salvation wasn't complete yet. There was still more to come for God's people. And under the new covenant, is the argument of our, our chapter, under the new covenant that has come. When you come to God through Jesus, then your salvation is complete. All your sins that you have done are wiped out. Even your conscience And that's what we, under the new covenant, are allowed to experience. Even your conscience is completely swept clean. Your sins, even your guilt, your sense of guilt, is covered by the blood of Christ. Forgiven, forgotten, forever. What a relief for a burdened conscience. And from that moment on, you know, That no future sin even can ever separate you from your Savior again. Once Jesus has placed his arms around you, he will never let go of you again. That's the kind of Savior he is. Believe it, friends, and hold on to it. Because that is your power when you are faced with temptation. If you're faced with temptation, we're all at certain moments... Then you look the temptation straight in the eye. You say to yourself, I'm tempted now. But I do belong to Jesus. And in Jesus is power to save from any temptation. And the very moment you say that to yourself, you will experience that the power of the temptation is broken. You just can't do anymore what you were tempted to do. But that's the way to make progress in the Christian life. Eventually, the same Jesus will bring us to the new earth where our salvation will reach its perfection. Perfection is even more than completeness. We are completely saved. But we haven't reached the perfection that we are looking forward to. The perfection is that we will live with him forever. On an earth 
that is restored to its original beauty. I mean, we live there only with people who love the Lord and never have enough of praising him for his wonderful creation. I can hardly wait for the day, friends. And I hope and pray you feel the same. There's another element in our text. Part of being saved is that Jesus becomes your intercessor with the Father. But there's another reason why he went to heaven and go and sit at the right hand of the Father. To be there and speak to him, to God the Father, on our behalf. See, Jesus bought each of us with the price of his own blood. So he considers us his very precious possession. And he never stops being on the lookout for us. Every time when I fall into a sin, then I believe Jesus says to his father, we both saw that Fred fell for this temptation, father, but don't count it against him, for I have already paid for that sin. Treat him with grace, father, also this time. And let us make him aware of this sin so that he repents and subsequently grows as a Christian, so that he comes nearer to you, to us. See, growing nearer to God, that is what life is all about. And it's, it's Jesus as intercessor who is full-time working on that. He is such a wonderful saviour, friends. Once you have come to God through Jesus, Jesus makes sure that you come closer all the time. So what what keeps you at a distance from God often? Why do you not always experience that you are near to him? I fear the answer is very simple. It is your own sin. And it can be anything, anger, Pride, selfishness, indifference, laziness, you name it. It creates distance between you and God. And it happens so easily that we become complacent about the things of God. But if you belong to Jesus then you will also experience the further you move away from God, the less content you are. You, you start to feel there's something amiss here. There's something lacking. Well, don't try then to move closer to God by your own efforts. Bring your problems first to Jesus. He cares for you. Trust him. And he will talk to his father about your birth burdens for he is a permanent intercessor he is your full-time advocate at the father's right hand and he always lives to intercede for you and knowing that will make you draw nearer to him you want to do that and you make that effort through him friends let's wind up now and challenge ourselves with this question Are you sure that you have come to God through Jesus? 
Well, if, if so, you, you must be able to relate to all that I've been saying this morning. But if you're still wondering, what is this preacher on about? You might have mixed up coming to church and coming to God. And unfortunately, it is possible to do the one thing, the first thing, without a second. So if you don't experience (coughs) love for Jesus in your heart, think again. If you you don't experience a desire for becoming perfect in your Christian life, think again. Why is that lacking? And what should you do about it? (coughs) Have you ever personally met your Savior and asked for a living relationship with him? Really, that is all you have to do. He is alive and around, you know. He sees you, and he knows you even better than you know yourself. So bury your pride that tells you, I don't ever do that. I've been a member of this church all my life, so I must be right. Well, that's exactly the lie the devil wants to, wants to make you believe. Please believe me. If there's anything lacking in your faith, in your joy, in your trust, in your looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus, go tonight when you're on your own, on your knees, and speak to Jesus himself. Tell him what bothers you, what hinders you, what you feel is lacking. Ask him to show you who, is, who he is and where you are at. For it's only those who ask who will be given. It's only those who knock persistently that the door of the kingdom of heaven will be opened. Let's have a moment of silent prayer. Lord, we thank you for sending us Jesus Christ as the one who died and rose again, as the one who ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, as the one who intercedes for us permanently, as the one who has promised that he will come back one day. Lord, we have to rely on those promises, for that's all we have. But Lord, grant us the conviction in our hearts that these promises are reliable indeed. And that we can make that jump of faith to entrust our lives to you. Lord, help us to draw near to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.